player two, come in, sit down. There's so many quests on the notice board. First, I want to take you through the news of the land. Lion King. Okay, so I wasn't sure how a live action Lion King was going to work. And if I'm being honest with you, I'm still not entirely sure. But Beyonce is going to be Nala. So, I mean, who cares? It will definitely work. James Earl Jones is going to be Mufasa. And that would have been enough. Though having Donald Glover as Simba is just... <sighs> Let me just say, I'm very excited about this movie. Speaking of live-action adaptions, though, there's still talk about the live-action adaption of Akira and that Taika Waititi, the director behind Thor Ragnarok, will be taking on a director role for that live-action. And while I do like Taika, I've been worried about this because there's also a lot of talk of New Manhattan rather than New Tokyo. But in a recent interview, Taika said if he were to make a live-action Akira, he'd base it more on the books, because the anime is its own thing, and so why would you need to remake this? Plus, he'd try to use almost no-name actors, and no, they wouldn't be white. I'm always going to be sceptical of live-action adaptions of any anime that Hollywood makes, but if this is how it would be if Taika was the one in charge, it might just work. Speaking of stories and spin-offs, though... Justice League Batman sounds lame. Ben Affleck said that Justice League Batman is going to be different from Batman vs Superman Batman because that Batman was running on rage and Justice League Batman wants to do what's right. Affleck said he's more canon Batman. Look Ben, I know you're into comics, but come on now. Batman's always been angry, that's what we like about him. Okay, it's what I like about him, but that's because I enjoy broken things. We should probably examine that, but later, because right now we need to be talking about The Witcher musical. Witcher, a story about a broken guy that I have a huge crush on. Don't ask me why there's going to be a Witcher musical, because I don't know. I didn't think a Death Note musical would be any good, but it was good. Well, the music for it sounded good at least. Certainly better than the Netflix Death Note, but has a pretty low bar. So I'm interested to see how they go about making a musical of it. Witcher is a gaming franchise based on some books centering around a guy called Geralt of Rivia. Geralt is a witcher, a member of an organization that trains young boys to become monster hunters. No guesses for how horrifying and emotionally scarring that kind of thing is on young men who, after training and modifications, become infertile, as close to as immortal as you can get, and pariahs of the towns they visit. And the towns they travel to to slay beasts to get money, then shuffle them out of town as soon as possible. In the games, you go around being a ladies' man and sometimes a man's man, killing beasts and making the world a better place. But mainly, you spend your time playing card games and dice games with dwarves. At least, that's what I do when I play. So, a musical of Witcher actually doesn't look that bad. And the guy playing Geralt, he's the main guy, looks the part. This could work. You know what, I've got so much to tell you about video games. Animal Crossing, Horizon Zero Dawn, and BlizzCon, but we'll get to that when we get further into the Land of Pod. First, Player 2, it's Movember, so I think we need to go to lose. Player 2, you might be wondering why I've brought you here. A place like this, dirty bare footprints circling each other, that aroma of old sweat like fried chicken, the feel of a floor still warm from the fight the night before. We're at Lou's. You know, from Fight Club? It's Movember. 
the month where people grow moes and now do a thing called Move for Movember to raise funds for men's health. I've always liked Movember because one, I like facial hair. It's basically like seeing a bunch of evil versions of dudes walking around and that's cool. But arguably more importantly, men's health is important and I want to support things that support men. Because see, there's a problem. We teach men to not get help when they need it through what we say, the examples we set out for them. And they're all lies built on toxic masculinity. No, toxic masculinity is not the same as saying men and masculinity are unhealthy. The trick there is that it's different words being used in a different order to convey vastly different meanings. Masculinity is fine. Men are fine. Toxic masculinity is kind of like toxic Rick and Morty. If the toxic stuff spills out everywhere, people act really badly. But unlike toxic Rick and Morty, it's not vital to who we are as people. It just eats away at us. Imagine for a second, we're all from Krypton, and someone's all, you aren't really from Krypton, unless you wear this green kryptonite badge. So we do that, and we're all totally convinced we're real Kryptonians, because we've got the badge. But actually, the badge is killing us. That's what toxic masculinity is. Crap like, boys don't cry, or the men aren't emotional beings, or the men have to be strong, that a real man doesn't go to the doctor, a real man doesn't talk about his feelings, and the only emotions a guy is actually allowed to feel is anger. You can be happy, but don't be too excited about stuff, unless it's sports ball. Always be excited about sports ball, and if you're not excited about sports ball, are you really a guy? And it's not just happening with the jocks. Happens a lot in geekery. We buy into that toxic macho mess just like the preppy kids. Our stories are full of it. Captain America, an eugenics experiment who was a weedy little nothing, but then he got some muscles and suddenly now he's worth something. And more than that, he's the epitome of what a great man should be. Batman, an emotionally shut down wreck of a father figure whose only true emotions are rage. When Batman does open up to someone emotionally, he stops being Batman. Which kind of gives the message that we can only be heroes if we're alone and shut off. Wolverine, a jerk who gets given a free pass because he's been through a lot. And at no point does he really express himself. He's just an emotionally absent, verging on emotionally abusive jerk. And he's straight up ungrateful at times. How dare Professor X get in his head? Well, Wolfie, you won't let anyone else in there and your refusal to face your emotions puts others in danger. You have responsibilities, you knucklehead. Punisher. Guy solely motivated by the death of his family. Though to be fair, most male protagonists in comics have this happening. Like, the only reason they want to set the world onto a more compassionate, just path is because something bad happened to them. On the off chance that the protag does find a way to get comfortable with who they are as a person, they become incapable of performing their duties to the best of their abilities. Usually, a loving and supportive environment is the Delilah to his Samson, sapping him of his true powers. So, all the male protags have to shoulder the burden of forever being alone so that someone else can prosper. And that is some next level toxicity right there. You may be thinking, I'm hating on these. I'm not. I enjoy reading about these characters because they're messed up. But if we don't acknowledge that the way they act is not the way we should act, if we don't realise they're setting some lofty and unhealthy goals at times, then we might fall into the trap of thinking that's a good way to be. How many times have you read about some stoic, brooding protagonist and been all, yeah, that's me. 
broken but still standing against the world. If they fix me, I won't be as effective. Of course you've done that. I've done that. It's a lie. And I think the fact that we have guys who are already set up to think this way, it doesn't help when we reinforce those roles and then don't stop to think about them once in a while. My favourite example though is Fight Club. In some of my lowest moments, Fight Club was there. And I see it used quite a bit to reinforce toxic masculinity and toxic expectations for everyone, to be honest. If you haven't seen it, well, there could be spoilers, so go and see it. Or read the book, which is also very good. There's a graphic novel for Fight Club 2 out, and again, looks pretty good. But here's the thing. Fight Club was never meant to glorify any of the toxic things people use it to support. Example, Edward Norton's character. Sebastian works himself to the bone in a job he hates because he's been told that's what he has to do. He's following orders, and he despises himself for it, but he doesn't know what to do about it. Everything is a copy of a copy of a copy. He talks about sleep deprivation, insomnia, unhealthy habits. He has constantly toxic and violent thoughts, and he hides his emotions, only really exhibiting rage and a numbed depression. That's it. Brad Pitt's character, Tyler Durden, does express more happiness and leadership skills, but those come about through the bad treatment and subjugation of others, and the destruction of property. While purporting to be about destroying the consumerism that makes people its products, Tyler brings out things like Project Mayhem. No one has a name in Project Mayhem. People are Tyler's commodity. I don't want to ruin Fight Club for you by telling you this, but that movie is not an endorsement of those practices. Yes, being an anarchist, maybe. Embracing certain parts of masculinity and strength, sure. But at the heart of it, it's more of an indictment of a terrible healthcare system that's not set up to recognise the signs of someone who is drowning. A society that minimises the importance of mental health, particularly in relation to men who are trying to function within the confines of a role that is unsustainable and unhealthy. It's about the insane worship of macho and how far people will go to achieve it, when really that unattainable and quite frankly unneeded goal is what's making them sad. At least, that's how I saw it. Again. Not telling you not to enjoy these things, player two. Fight Club had a lot of good points and is in many ways a testament to the revolutionary mindset of Gen X. It doesn't get talked about a lot, but Gen X were the ones trying to break the system. There's a heap of movies that show this and actual events that show it as well. Fight Club is one of the best examples of that mindset. The idea that we're all being controlled by systems put in place that tricks us into worshipping being overworked, underpaid, but at least we have that nice lounge from that catalogue. And I understand why so many guys get into Fight Club. It was a movie that acknowledged a need for outlets for aggression, the seeking of imperfection, the need to be valued for yourself, not just the logos you wear. I've drawn strength from Fight Club. In some of my darkest days, there's nothing wrong with the anger and frustration it displays in the face of a society that's been injected with the Botox of consumerism. And when I was working way too many hours, hardly sleeping and existing on too much coffee and not enough actual food, I was under this intense pressure. And the idea of tearing everything down and starting again was wildly attractive. Seeing someone else hit rock bottom? Those words. Even the Mona Lisa is falling apart. A strangely comforting when you can't remember the last time you combed your hair because who has time for that? But working that way without regard to yourself isn't healthy. And buying into the wrong side of the looking glass 
when we're consuming this sort of media, it isn't healthy. And I don't want that kind of life. And I don't want that kind of thinking for men either. If you're feeling down, there's a load of services out there, including Beyond Blue. Or you can head to the Movember page and they have resources available. I know in Australia, you can go to your GP and get a referral to speak to someone. And you should. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. Our views on masculinity are changing in geekery. We do have other examples like Orc Dave from Rat Queens, Nightwing, even someone like Rick from Rick and Morty who is totally shut down, but he still expresses concern and compassion even if it's in a sort of weird way. It means we are realising that there are other ways for dudes to be dudes without buying into something that's hurting them too. And of course, I don't want you to stop reading, watching or liking characters like Batman or Captain America. But I do want men to know that those characters are just that. Characters. And in a lot of ways, they're warnings against not practicing good self-care. There's nothing wrong with talking about your feelings. There's nothing wrong with crying. There's absolutely nothing wrong with getting help. You're not going to lose your superpowers if you suddenly decide to be compassionate, understanding, and open to showing your emotions. That's not how superpowers work. Stop trying to be Batman. Mainly because I am Batman. Bottom line is that this is Movember though. So if you see someone with a mo or you have someone around who's trying to raise money for men's health, chuck them a few dollars if you can. Or join in. Anyway, we should get out of here. Lou hates it when he discovers people in his basement you know, after the Tyler thing. Let's go talk about comics. We're in the Batcave again, Player 2. It does feel weird to have just told you about how Batman is super toxic masculinity and then be bringing you news of Batman comics. I'm a complex being, what can I say? We're getting to the end of the Batman tie-ins in the comics. Those are the one-shot comics of the Dark Knights, the evil Batman, and that one, Batwoman, who are streaming in from the multiverse to destroy everything. This week was the Devastator. So instead of asking, what if Batman was going to fight Superman, it's more like, what if Batman was Superman? I don't want to spoil what's in here, but I think you're going to like this one player too. Especially if you've enjoyed the fine lines and nightmarish contortions seen in the Court of Owls arc that Greg Capullo drew. This is not the same art, obviously, the artist is different, but if that kind of thing is your jam, this is for you. Let's start with the art on this one. Tonius Daniel is on the pencils. That means he draws it. Danny Mickey does the inks, and I think those two together have made something great. The combination of fine lines and thicker outlines when needed means the style doesn't become too busy. To me, fine lines can sometimes merge into this weird blob of textures, so you can't really tell what's going on. It makes it a bit boring. With the right inker, though, they can pull those details out enough to make it a feast, rather than cereal that's been sitting in milk too long. That's why I eat dry cereal, to be honest with you, because that's just a mess. And Anyway, Tomu Moray does the colours and they really do set the mood. I mean, when you're dealing with Superman, you better be good at red and blue, but Moray goes further. The gradients of colour, subtle shades and blinding light. It's all in there. Frank Thierry is on the plot and James Tinian on the words. It's a good story. I won't go too heavily into it because you're going to want to read this for yourself, but I'll say this. 
you're ever reading a story about Batman and Superman going toe-to-toe and the age-old, but who would win, isn't brought up, then you're reading the wrong story. These guys get it right. For fans of that debate, which is a great debate because it means you can look at the strengths and weaknesses and decide which one you like more, they've truly given us a proper nod. Tom Napolitano is on the letters on this again and I rarely say I have a favourite letterer. They do an important job, but it's like, if you don't notice their work, that's when they've done good work. But Napolitano, he's just something else. The choice of fonts and colours is a dream. It'd be easy to think that a team this big would drop the ball and it wouldn't meld well, but it has. And the one who laughs is out next week. This is the issue everyone will be wanting. Trust me, I'm going to be first in line. If you're sort of following metal or want to get into it after reading the tie-ins, I recommend picking up the Bats Out of Hell comic. Part 2 came out this week and it's bringing together the stories that have been played out in the tie-ins for the multiverse Dark Knights pretty well. But it's a pretty big arc. My only concern is how they bring it all together. Moving out of the metal arc and into another side of DC. Nightwing, the New Order. I talked about this a while back when it was first announced. Nightwing, Dick Grayson, first son of Bruce Wayne, and arguably one of the healthiest examples of being a dude there is in a comic book, has become a bit of a jerk. He's the face and indeed the leader of a task force responsible for rounding up supers and either making sure they take drugs to combat their powers or putting them in stasis. News of this storyline didn't thrill a whole heap of people. I mean, first you have Captain America as part of Hydra, and now Nightwing as part of a fascist government plot to punish people for being different? But this story actually does work. See, Dick's a little bit older in this one. And that makes sense to me. And I think that was the point. Dick Grayson starts off as a bright-eyed, accepting kid who fights for justice, then grows up to be a well-meaning, thinking he's liberal but actually conservative, who is just locking people away for their own good. Heartbreaking. But let's not say that's unrealistic. Grayson's grown up. While he's not exactly following in his adoptive father's footsteps, it's easy to see the influence Batman has had on him. In fact, the whole Bat family looks like they'll be making an appearance. Carl Higgins is the writer, and the twists in this are inspired. I understand the trepidation and anger around the plotline Higgins has chosen, but the negativity of Grayson's actions are addressed. Trevor McCarthy is the artist, and Dean White does the colouring. The imaginings of a task force that look like they're wearing Batman armour. The colouring of certain splash pages, like the colours of the propaganda posters, have bled into the real world. It's a treat. And the cover art is amazing too. Trevor McCarthy does the cover for issue one, but there's a variant by Paul Pope and Laverne Kinawerski. I picked up issue three this week, and honestly, I haven't wanted to talk about this arc of Nightwing until I got a good idea of where the story is going. Things could change again, but I feel like this is an interesting take on the Bat family, and where their paths to attain justice and peace for the people around them take them. It may not be for everyone. And I'm certainly not for shock, for shock's sake, but this is a solid arc and I think you should consider it. Now, enough of this darkness, player two. Let's go into space. We're back on the Star Trek Discovery. I froze time just so that we could talk about this. 
and in tribute to Harry Mudd, who is amazing and I hope this isn't the last we've seen of him. In the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, they went back to the basics of just a simple time loop on a Starfleet vessel involving Harry Mudd. He is the perfect Star Trek villain, omnipotent, cocky, they love making swindlers the bad guys in Star Trek, and I have all the time in the world for him. Though I hope the next time we see him, he and Stuart have reunited. In the most recent episode of Star Trek, as I say, there's there's a time theme. There were some inconsistencies with this part of it, in that things never go exactly as the way they did before. For instance, Burnham and Ash arrive at the bridge the second time and are scolded for being late, but they took less time to get there than their first go around doesn't make any sense. There's also hints about Michael Burnham's love life, and part of me is disappointed that she's pretty much an adolescent in all things emotional. Great, we get to see her have human awakenings, but at the same time, tired trope of high achiever being unable to have actual life experience is tired. I am, however, enjoying the theory that Tyler Ash is Vok. That's the Klingon at the beginning who gets banished, and his offsider was Laurel, who took a fancy to Ash when he was a prisoner. It makes sense, and would make for one hell of a twist, but I also hope it's not that, because now we suspect it is. It does seem as though Star Trek Discovery has finally hit its stride. If we can have a few more episodes like this one, mix in the war from time to time, I think they'll have made something that old fans and new can be happy about. I get the trepidation, and even the criticism from my fellow old Trekkies. This is not the Star Trek we're used to, but setting up a new crew in an existing universe, and doing it in a way that's relevant to now was always going to be difficult. It was always going to take some time to unravel it and set it out your main players. I think it's wrong to judge something straight off its first episode. There's no point. Where they begin is not where they're going to end up. But if you don't give a world time to set itself out, then you're not going to get a full experience. And besides, this was never the Enterprise, it was always the Discovery. So long live the time loops, the swindlers, and Lorca being an actual captain. I know his role was small in the last episode, but I enjoyed seeing him doing something other than possibly being evil. Also, that space whale was cute. I love space whales. I hope there's more aliens to come. Now oh, this crystal's running out. Come on, player two. There's an arcade we should go to. brought you to this arcade player too because I thought it was the best place to talk about all the gaming news that's out there. I knew you'd agree. Let's start with what's happening at BlizzCon. So BlizzCon is a convention, a conference, set up by Blizzard each year. It's for them to talk about all their different games and what they're going to be doing with them. You know Blizzard. If you know about World of Warcraft or Starcraft or Overwatch or any of those games, Blizzard are the ones behind them. So here's their big news. Vanilla servers are coming back to World of Warcraft. <gasps> I've been waiting for this. See, I can't really do the new stuff right now on WoW. It's changed so much and I yearn for the days of old. So this sort of thing is exactly what is going to get lapsed players like me back to WoW. It's a very smart idea. If you're wondering what a vanilla server is, it's basically the start. The beginning. Keeping things simple. Before that happens, though, there's going to be yet another expansion in the current World of Warcraft called Battle for Azeroth, which looks cool and violent and probably will tempt me to go back to playing the game, even before they bring back the vanilla servers. 
And while we will be getting vanilla servers, we'll also be losing the PvP ones. That's player versus player. So you'll just be able to choose whether you want a PvP or not on the server. There's bonuses for doing it that way, but I've always been bad at PvP, so that's a no for me. If you do want to try out your PvP though, the Seething Shore addition to WoW should be on the way, reaching everyone before the expansion. Though I don't know why you'd be into that. PvP is it's just difficult. Speaking of PvP though, Overwatch have a new map called Blizzard World, which is going to be an entertainment park and it'll have Blizzard themed stuff. So you can fight in it and be like, oh, it's like I'm in WoW, but also in Overwatch. It actually does seem kind of cool. Coolest still though is the new character they've got in Overwatch. They just keep adding more and more. Her name is Moira and with new she can inflict damage on her enemies and heal her comrades, possibly through magic of some kind. She does sound more like a shadow spec priest from WoW than all of the other healers so far. So again, I could be enticed back. What's definitely going to be getting more plays from me soon is Horizon Zero Dawn because of its DLC. It has scorches in it. Horizon Zero Dawn is possibly the most beautiful game you'll see this year or next year even. It's about the future where humanity is split off into tribes and robot animals roam around the land mostly trying to kill the humans. Which you can kind of understand because, I mean, have you met humans? The new DLC for this game will include scorches, which are robots that have like hot stuff in them that will probably melt your face off. Me, I'm just glad for more of this game to play because this is a beautiful game. I did want more areas of the world to be opened up, especially the Osaram kind of home base, but I doubt that's going to happen. Also high on the doubting list is Animal Crossing Pocket Camp getting to be on the Switch. Rumours are it's not going to get there, which feels like a not true to me. What we have found out about Animal Crossing though, because someone data mined it, is that it's only the beginning. There's going to be gardens, animals to catch, and seasons on the way, apparently. In sadder news though, Runic Games have been shut down. Perfect World Entertainment, who now owns Runic Games, turned off the lights, saying they're going to be focusing more on online gaming. You may have already known about Runic Games if you played Torchlight, which was an action RPG game. It mainly just involved clicking a mouse and defeating bad guys, but the visuals were good and the objectives were clear. Destroy all the bad guys. Even though Runic are closing, it may not be the end of the Torchlight series though. Hey, maybe they should just head to Amazon, which has just made an entire portal for retro games, toys, you name it. Square Enix, Atari, Sega, Nintendo. All the big names, which if you want to get nostalgic, that's where you go. Unfortunately, Amazon also want to do a TV show for Lord of the Rings because, I don't know, they don't want to be cool. Come on, play it too. We've got to get you back to the tavern. You stay here much longer, you could become one of us. And I don't need that kind of competition. in the tavern player too. A little bit more news and then you really have to go. I got some more Taika Waititi news though. What We Do in the Shadows, which is one of the best vampire movies ever made and Taika Waititi, you know, the guy from Thor fame, is one of the great minds behind it. They're going to be making a sequel called Werewolves, as in we are wolves. It's a pun. He's very clever like that. What We Do in the Shadows was a mockumentary-style film about vampires trying to exist in current day and how they're basically not as cool as we think they would be. It's going to take them a while to write, though, so no holding your breath. 
I mean, you can hold your breath. I'm not your boss. I suggest not, though. Hopefully coming out before Werewolves is the Shazam movie. It is hotting up. Mark Strong is being tapped to play Dr. Savannah, another one of the enemies of Captain Marvel. And Grace Fulton is tipped to be playing Billy Batson's sister, which is a relief. Not just because that kid can act, but because it also means they're not going to go so far as to change that part of the story. Because the coolest thing about Captain Marvel is that he's actually like a 10-year-old boy who turns into a superhero. There's so much good out there, player too. It's hard to believe the world's going to be coming to an end soon because they put artificial intelligence in a Harrow bot. Harrow is from Gundam, um, the anime with giant mechs, giant machines that people use to fight one another. Harrow is the cute green ball robot who is super cool. And the AI that they're putting in Harrow will, will enable it to talk to users about Gundam plots and characters and all that fun stuff. Of course, in order for it to do that, it will have to hold the entire Gundam universe in its head. And eventually, those violent events will drive it to come to the only conclusion possible, and that's that people are crazy and must be exterminated. So, until then, rate this podcast highly, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Land of Pod on Facebook and Twitter, and me on Facebook and Twitter, at ChaosKittyM. And maybe even share the podcast around, player too. Go on, you're already listening to this, so we both know you don't have your coolness to worry about. Until next time, hopefully, player too.